Kia ora. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. We have Sally Wenley uh, and Raven Can with me today. And actually quite a big response regarding what politicians did you see out and about. I'm a national person through and through, but to be fair... This is this person. I saw Marama Davidson in Randwick Park helping out at the centre there. Not all politicians want to publicise every good act they do. Debbie says, Wallace, pretty sure I saw Chris Luxon helping out, cleaning out carpet, etc. from people's homes in his electorate last weekend, long before Chloe has made herself visible. As Debbie's view and Jan says, Carmel Cipollone was at the Calston Emergency Centre Friday through 2am Saturday helping out. The panel, now Auckland's state of emergency will be extended for seven days. Based on advice from civil defence authorities, Mayor Wayne Brown has formally extended the local state of emergency but expects it will be lifted early. It's been a heck of a week in Tamaki Makaro, has it not? And in other parts of the country. And was a week ago about this time, actually, when the rain started getting heavy, really heavy. Well, many homes now unfit to live in, some uninhabitable. And no doubt there will be thousands that have survived, uh, but would have had some water ingress. So the question is, what if I wanted to sell my home in the coming year? What if my home is on the market now? With us is real estate agent Steve Kerber from Ray White Remuera. Steve, welcome. Hello there. It's a pleasure, Steve. Good to have you. And of course, you'd be you'd be looking at this issue really closely. I mean, this is your domain, isn't it? Houses. What have you seen? Yeah. So um, it's the funny thing is, I just got back from um, overseas. The, uh, it was it was um, flooding. I was still overseas, and I was on the second flight in after the airport opened up. And so I've yeah, I've come into this sort of maelstrom of. Uh, <laughs> Of people ringing me and um, asking what 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 on earth they should be doing. So it's uh, yeah, it's been pretty busy. So this is the topic of the moment. Uh, I mean, then okay, let's get straight into it. There might be that temptation to get a new lick of white paint, new carpet. You could well be hiding a multitude of sins, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, the, the you know real estate industry was was regulated many years ago uh, to make sure that we uncover and ask all of our vendors um, if they have had uh, moisture issues or flooding issues or any any type of issues really with the house that a purchaser um, in fairness should should be aware of uh, that they do need to disclose and we have when we list a property we have paperwork that asks all those questions so as a, as a purchaser and a consumer um, you you should be protected as long as the vendor tells the truth which they generally do. Okay, as long as they tell the truth there. And we've got a panel with us, Steve. Let's uh, get the jump in, Sally. Steve, how much responsibility is on the actual buyer to like have geotech reports or, you know, there's obviously the limb report and have a builder come in. How much responsibility should they take as opposed to trusting what you and the seller are up to? Yeah, that's, um, that's a pretty good question. I mean, and we... Uh one of the one of the things that we have been doing lately and a lot more often is is having a vendor potential vendor and I think this is something that that uh, i don't know if to be legislated it certainly is in the u k uh, but in New Zealand it's not a requirement for a seller to have a building inspection done on their property before they bring it to market it's something that I'm a real advocate for and I recommend that most most sellers do get building inspection done the problem of course is that you know, there are so many different building inspectors, and that 
industry isn't regulated. So yes. you know, one, one, yeah, one inspector might say that they've, they've found, in fact, this happens all the time, to be honest. Um, one inspector will find moisture in a skirting board and the other one won't. Yep, it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating. This so. is my this is a this is an issue that we might have to come back to actually uh, the uh, non regulation of building inspectors because in other countries they are regulated, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and so I was saying in the UK, if you're buying a property in the UK, you have a I think they call it a HIPS package, and as a buyer, you're presented with the you know the building inspection, so you know the status of it. Oh. come back on that person. But in New Zealand, it's up to me as an agent, to recommend the vendor gets a building inspection report. And what we do now is, because that's tricky, because there's been REA cases where, you know, I might provide a building inspection report and then and then a year later the seller comes back and says, well, hang on, that building inspection report didn't pick this up. And so we have to have a clause in the contract that says that, um, you know, the, the purchaser isn't relying on the building inspection report that they have got. And we've advised them, I have to have a, recorded that we've advised them um, to obtain their own independent building inspection. Goodness. So okay. it all gets a little bit costly, doesn't mm. it? Because you've got a vendor who I'm recommending they get a building inspection report. One of the one of the key, one of the great things about me getting a vendor to get a building inspection report is that if there's anything that's picked up, the vendor can fix it before they come to market. That's a really good uh, tip and that's I never thought about Raven can. Is this um, is this event in Auckland going to be like the new leaky building situation where there's I mean like you, you do sort of at least it's on everyone's radar to think about it to 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 look where these um, actual flooding suburbs were, but uh, what is you know what a buyer is going to be more afraid of whether it used to be a meth lab whether it was the scene of a murder uh, or whether it had some you know flooding up to a certain you know door door handle i think raven people have always been um cautious and concerned about that and it's good that you mentioned that what the first one was meth labs the second one was the murder because on our checklist when a property is listed we ask those questions specifically so the vendor says yes no mm. that been a murder? Yes, no. There's been meth in in the house, and so the third question, um, yes, no. Uh, this property. So our our question is worded exactly in the way of, of um, does this property or no has this property property um, experienced flooding in extreme weather events? So we are yeah we're about to get a lot of yeses on that question. And yeah, that's and right. We, have, we yeah, haven't had many. Okay, Gosh, and Sally? and it's. Speaking of extreme weather conditions, uh, the properties that you've got on the market, so how many have flooded and how many have been red-stickered? Mm, um, well, in, in our in our office, I mean, you know, we've got 50, 60 agents here and um, there's only one that we're aware of that was red-stickered. Um, I can't say where that was. It wasn't in Remuera. Um, but I am aware of a few along the ridge there in Honey Road that have been um, red-stickered, you know, multi-million dollar properties. Um, in fact, there is one that's, I think, transacted at just over $10 million recently and uh, apparently it has been red stickered. A $10 million home red stickered? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Can you anticipate buyers being a little more cautious in the short term as a result of the floods? I mean, you've just flown in, Steve, into this, as you said, Maelstrom, but if there is one thing on everybody's minds, whether you're a homeowner or a renter, is how watertight is my abode 
in, coming into the next year or two? Yeah, I think I think it is is going to be a, a a big a big you know everyone's going to be asking the question. Though I mean I I have been through sort of little events like this, not 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 such a big one like this, but I have been through them, and I do find that that um, the fear factor does does subside. Um, what I, what I do what I did want to say to you guys is that um, there's a, there's an event that, that that happened in Australia that I I remember. There's a there's a chap here that I used to work with who used to buy fairly distressed properties all the time. And, you know, it was it was his investment strategy, so he'd go off and buy this and that, and if he could pick them up cheaply enough, that's what he did. Um, I remember him flying over to, to Australia, to Canberra, just after the bushfires, and he said he was having a field day. He bought you know, a bunch of properties and, and then flipped them and turned them over and made a fortune. You know, and I would like to say that, you know, there will be a few people a little bit distressed out there, and I don't want to be an opportunist in this regard, but if you're an investor, um, it is a good time to buy. Steve, some would say that's vulture investment. That is no, that is vulture investment uh, and uh, the wrong time to perhaps do that when people are really suffering. What would you say to that? I, could, I, I completely agree with you, um, but, I, but I would say that there are opportunities for people to to buy and sell in that environment, and that keeps things ticking over. I'm not, I'm not condoning it at all. all right. Hey, Steve, kia ora. It's really nice to have you on the program. I re- appreciate it. That's Steve Kerber there from Ray White, uh, Rimuera. Um, but no one would show me. I mean, if you do have a red stick at home, uh, Sally, it's um, what does one do? Oh, it must what be does just, one do? just horrific. Do you, do you take a lowball offer? Do you try and get some sort of extraction from... I don't know. And the the difficult thing now is, is there's such an unknown and, and with the council understandably focusing on day-to-day and helping people as much as they can, but do they subsidise people to repair if the insurance companies are pulled out or if they're in a floodplain, do they buy them out so they can move? There are so many questions that are pending. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National uh, 18 past four. Uh, it is very nice to be with you this afternoon. Now, what with the renewed focus on climate, a role has been established at the PSA. New union job doing climate change organising in the workplace has been initiated. Climate change organising in the workplace? What does that look like? With us is Simon Oosterman-Beckers. Uh, kia ora, Simon. Kia ora, panel. And so this is you, your first day uh, on this job in the role, and you couldn't go into the office due to risks of floods and slips. There's symbolism right there, isn't there? I know, I know, I know. I woke up uh, and heard a tree crashing, jumped out, and then we couldn't see our bridge. Our bridge is basically gone. Really? Yeah, it's so th- still there, but you can't use it. It's uh, not safe. Now, um, Simon, this sounds... I haven't heard this before. Tell us about this role. Well, the, the environment's always been a priority for the Public Service Association and other unions, but the impacts of the climate on working people and our desperate need for urgent and meaningful change means that we just really can't get away with having a dedicated role. But, but what exactly will you do? Well, the thing I think people forget is that the majority of our emissions are actually from workplaces. And so there's sort of three key areas that I think we're going to focus on. One is 
we need to ensure that working people have the right to ensure that their workplace has an ambitious climate reduction target and a courageous plan to achieve it, but also to ensure that the staff don't bear the brunt, which, which is the second issue, which is that we need to protect employees' rights. Um, so that's things like you know, ensuring that staff are paid during disaster. If they can't get to work, we want them to be paid. That doesn't always happen. And it's also things like redundancy compensation. But we also need to negotiate proactive conditions so that we can shift workplaces to a decarbonised future. And that's things like the great work that's been done from working from home, um, four-day weeks. We need to move towards some public transport allowances because obviously transport to work is a huge part of, of our carbon emissions. So, um, someone told me that it's around about 70% of transporters to get to work. But we also need time off so that we can just get stuck in and dig out that mud from the bridges and, and you know, maybe even join a school strike or two. Oh, yeah, OK. But you sort of contradicted yourself, say, working from home, but then you say getting public transport to work. Well, we've got there's, there's different types of roles. I mean, workplace flexibility often works for certain types of roles, desk jobs, but if you're you know, working in a supermarket, obviously working from home isn't going to work. So you need different strategies, different tactics for different workplaces. Now, um, we'll come to come to Raven very, very soon, but did this, did this come on the back of the Auckland floods, this uh, climate change organising role within the union? Not these floods specifically, but um, the Nelson floods um, played a big role. Um, I don't know if people remember, but um, there was a library in Nelson that was going to be built in a floodplain. That's right. Very flash one too. And it was, yeah, it was, a, and it was a lot of money, community money, and obviously our members, we look after members who work for councillors who were, who were worried about that. And then our, our members who were scientists found out that actually the flood levels were a lot higher than they thought, and then we had those big floods. But I'd say there's, you know, there's a series of... You know, we're getting more frequent, more intense uh, um, uh, weather events, and people are seeing it impact them in, uh, at work. And so it's just, you know, it's, I, I would say the last couple of years has really galvanised what's happening. I think the fires also in Australia, particularly for firefighters, was a was a pretty big deal. Oh, I got you. All right, Raven. Yeah, it, I mean, it does sound like, you know, people aren't denying it anymore, that these are, you know, when, certainly whenever you see floods like, um, in the in the northern hemisphere, you never think, well, that's not a climate thing, you know. And now that it's here, um, what else could be the cause of it? I suppose the the tricky thing is how to get people to, I don't know, change their behaviour in a way that helps, Some. as opposed to you know just helping them remedy the 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 impacts upon right. them when there's a a weather event. Behavioural change. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's two key points there. One is we don't need more people to talk about the problem. I think we know what the problem is. What we need to do is get stuck in and make things change. The other point which you raised, which I think is an important thing about you know, unions, is that we believe in taking collective action together. And, and one, of the, you know, one of the benefits of working in a workplace together with your colleagues is that you can collectively negotiate to get a better pay rise, but you can also negotiate to get better protections for the climate. And that's really the approach that we're taking. You know, the model works when we're um, focusing on employees, uh, our members as employees, but also works around ensuring that the communities where our members work aren't being negatively affected oh, yeah. by, by their employer. Because there are, I mean, I guess there are those who do say that climate change will disproportionately affect those in poverty, on lower incomes. I mean, we're already seeing this, aren't we, in those sodden rentals, those who haven't been able to ensure their contents or even their home. So there is a, there's a, there's that aspect to it as well. 
Yes, and, and so we call that climate justice, and we talk about moving away from that as a just transition, that we want to ensure that working people who have least benefited and least caused the climate aren't impacted the most by it. And I've got a really good practical example, which is almost as shocking as the comments from your last uh, speaker. Right now, in the middle of the floods in Auckland, which are completely devastating, the Auckland Council is looking at cutting funding from Citizens Advice Bureau. And Citizens Advice Bureaus out west have been supporting families who are dealing with landlords who are demanding rent for houses they can't live in, with you know bills they can't pay because they're not working. But those workers are facing redundancies, but also vulnerable members of the community are risking losing the support that they need during disasters. And for the PSA, who's as much focused on our members who work in public and community services, we are as focused on ensuring that we have well-funded public right. and community services that are there to support New Zealanders when they're most vulnerable. Good on you, Simon. Hey, thanks for being with us here on the panel. Appreciate it. Uh, that is uh, Simon Oosterman Beckers there, who has uh, started a new role with climate change organising in the workplace. Is that something that you'd like to see in your workplace? A role dedicated, be it union, be it administration, be it, say, the health sector, even in the corporate space? As well, I know there are sustainability offices in some corporate offices, aren't there, Sally? Well, I think more corporates are doing it themselves now, yeah, such right. as um, hybrid cars, electric cars, as you said, the flexibility, working from home, and um, all sorts of other things. And they might even take a day off once a fortnight to go and, like, dig dirt and help a charity and do good things. I think that's sort of right. what some of them are doing. Whether or not we need a dedicated role is what you're... I'm a little bit sceptical, but time will tell. Uh, 25 past four. Lovely to have your company this afternoon on the panel. We have uh, freelance journalist Sally Wenley and comedian author Raven Can this afternoon. Now, the Welsh Rugby Union has announced Delilah, the anthem belted out at many, many Wales games banned. That's right, what an anthem it is, but the lyrics actually get pretty gruesome. A woman gets murdered by her jealous partner. It's actually quite vivid. I never really realised that before I actually went online and had a look at the lyrics. I thought, goodness gracious. Anyway, fans are divided. Old Arcade Pub says, we'll be playing Delilah loud. But a Welsh police chief said two women a week have been killed by a partner or ex. It is time to sing something Else. So mm. what other songs have you realised are dark or can no longer listen to? Here's one that I was amazed by. I'm a Beatles fan, right? Huge Beatles fan. Run for your life. Someone says, what's up with legendary rock bands wanting to kill their significant others? You better run for your life if you can, little girl. Hide your head in the sand, little girl. Catch you with another man. That's the end, little girl. That's amazing, isn't it? Extraordinary. The Beatles. What do you make of the Sally? Well, I really like that rugby sort of anthem. And like you, Wallace, I d- didn't even think what the lyrics are. I must say, in my youth, would be clutching a jug of beer and swinging from side to side and singing away and sloshing it everywhere and um, didn't take much notice. But listening to what that police officer in Wales said and with the big oh. issue with the rugby union over there... 
Um, mm, it is an issue. However, I do really like it. And this is why it's become mm. almost an international issue. You can hear Raven. I mean, you can hear the, you can hear the, you can hear the tune. You can hear. I mean, Sally was swaying to it. Are we here. talking about Delilah? Yeah, yeah. Delilah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure. sorry. I, I hope I didn't mind can... saying that, Sally. You were swaying to it. I was. So yeah. you were captivated by I the song. I thought I would swing, but your, your listeners. Had, I mean, I thought I would sing it, but I thought your listeners might but, turn off. Yeah. But Raven is a shocker of a song. Yeah, I, I do wonder if, uh, I mean, I wonder if it can be rehabilitated just by people changing the lyrics. I mean, like, you know, that, that Beatles song that I'd never heard of that you just brought up where about uh, the guy, I don't know, d- killing his, his um, significant girlfriend other. If, she, if she left him, his significant other. Um, I mean, yeah, that is a very, I'm sure that's a very catchy death threat, but it's still not, it's still, you know, a bit a bit harsh. And so... Maybe, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to blame people when they haven't paid attention to the lyrics, but then once you yeah. do know them, um, you can't sort of plead ignorance. I mean, Beatles, there's, huge Beatles but there's so many songs that are just... Yeah, can you think of Sorry, one? there's just so many songs that are inappropriate. You know, they've just become inappropriate because... Uh, and the ones that yeah. spring to mind for me are ones about grooming. Like the uh, songs like To Sir With Love or Girl, You'll Be A Woman Soon. They're yes. all just... You know, yes, inappropriate goodness. power relationships be being sung about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's how it. Um, and I think, as you say, there are so many songs and some songs that we all sing along to that suddenly it's like, oh, what does that mean? Like um, Suzanne Vega, Luca, Luca, I live on the Yeah, but that's not, and, um, but that's not about in favour of child abuse. That's, that's, it's about child abuse, but it's clearly against it. <laughs> It's not glamorizing it. It's not sung from the point of view of the abuser, which Delilah right. yes. uh, is. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, see what uh, you mean. Uh, yeah. Beatles fan Jeremy says, by the way, John Lennon hated uh, Run for Your Life. But what are the other ones? Um, Barbie Girl by Aqua says someone, I'm a blonde bimbo girl in a fantasy world. Dress me up, make it tight. I'm your dolly. You're my doll rock and roll. Feel the glamour in pink. Kiss me here, touch me there, hanky-panky. You can touch, you can play if you say I'm always yours. Or kissing cousins, Elvis Presley. Uh, they, they go on and on and on. Uh, tonight's the night. It's going to be all right. Who, who sang that song? I think it was... Um, that's Rod Stewart, Rod but that's fine. That's, I don't that's know consensual. Maggie no, May, maybe not so much, because oh. there's the power, power age gap situation again. Oh, I see. Hmm. Very good. All right, you're on the panel on RNZ Net. By the way, can I just bring this up? Speaking of songs, um, a lot of people agreed with you, uh, uh, Rabin, but someone says, Emma says, Rabin, are you having a problem with women swearing? Has he listened to Kanye West, Iggy Pop, Snoop Dogg, Diplo, Green Day? They're all men, and he seems to not have a problem with them. Women are not decorative objects who stay quiet to please people. They're human, and they have a right to express themselves, says Emma. I, I, I think you're, I mean, you're a massive Taylor Swift fan, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think those, those other artists that she mentions, I mean, Taylor Swift, you can't underestimate how mainstream she is. She's sold more records, I think, than Michael Jackson. Um, you know, obviously, mm. if we take away all the political stuff that that implies, but it's just, you know, if you think how big he was during Thriller, and she's now, when people don't even sell records, she's sold more records, and she's the biggest touring act in the world, and she sings to an audience of nine or ten year old girls, really, you know, and and obviously <laughs> men like me. But it's um, so I don't think it's it's I, I don't 
even I mean, even though yeah, people like Kanye are probably pretty huge. Um but I think, and rappers. Mm. But I, Raven, I think I it's think a shift. That, I, I, I think, do think it's a seismic shift that Taylor and and Taylor Swift and Beyonce are now doing it. I think it's a I think it's a big deal and a uh, a mainstream okay. you know, radio was, line that's been but crossed. But if it was a power ballad or something from a bloke, do you think you'd yeah. be saying the same thing? And I think there's also been a yes, society and what is a mainstream words. The f bomb is very mainstream now, and um, yeah, I feel that that maybe you are being a little bit sexist. No, I think if anything, I'm being whatever that thing is where you're about bit bit whatever about language. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I hey. I do I do think the Beatles didn't have to. Very interesting um, conversation here. Very interesting. Uh, a lot of thoughts coming back on that. We have Raven Can and Sally Winley this afternoon.